Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome. It's Sunday Reading Day, and my name is Charlotte, and I'm going to be your host for the next hour. This is California Haunts Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm really excited to be here, and I hope you are, too. Welcome, TikTok. Welcome, Facebook. Welcome, YouTube. This is the day that I read from a paranormal-themed book. We do have permission from the author and the publisher to read for the book. Uh, this is part two of Omnipresent by Lynn Monet. This is the true story of a family who uh, purchases, unknowingly purchases a haunted house and doesn't and doesn't realize it obviously unknowingly but then the terror that follows okay so we're going to be reading that i do have permission from the uh publisher and the and the uh author to do this and just to let you know over on TikTok, uh if, if you get to the point where you're uncomfortable with the book don't turn me in for you know to, to have me banned or anything just move on this is a pg-13 channel so this is what we do we talk ghosts and we talk true ghost stories here and all that stuff so if you're into true ghost stories feel free to, st to stick with me because this book is something i'll tell you i didn't expect it to be this good and it's a really really good book uh same thing with facebook we are broadcasting on facebook today TikTok, youtube twitter and twitch today and uh i hope you guys like what you hear and if you do do me a favor and leave me a thumbs up leave me a like leave me a heart show me some love because what that does is it puts us higher in the fyp on all those networks being TikTok, facebook and youtube it puts us higher in, in Twitch, too. Puts us higher than FYP and lets a lot of other people hear us and see us, okay? So, the TikTok, if you feel the need to do this and you like what you hear today, tap that screen, double tap that screen. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking to build up my uh, my following here, okay? That, that's what I'm doing this for and, and build up my presence on TikTok. So, if you could help me out by tapping that screen, I would really, really, truly appreciate it. Let me get my mic adjusted a little bit more here so I can lean over a little bit more for TikTok. But uh, welcome everybody on TikTok. I'm going to be reading for the next hour from Omnipresent by Lynn Monet. Again, I have full permission from the publisher and the and the, for the, sorry, I have full permission from the publisher and the uh, author to read the book. And I'm just giving you a heads up. It is a true story that I'm reading. It's based on true. It is a true story. In fact, it was written by the person that, that experienced it, the owner of the house. So again, uh, I have the permission. So like I said, if anybody gets uncomfortable or anything with this, feel free to move on. Don't turn me in, you know, to the TikTok police, or the YouTube police, or the Facebook police on it. Just move on. We're a PG-13 channel. All right. Again, if you like what you hear, please tap that screen over over on TikTok to show me some love, get it, send me some hearts. Uh, if you haven't done so already on uh, Facebook and you like what you hear today, please be sure to hit that follow button. If you haven't done so already and you like what you hear over on YouTube today, Please, please feel free to subscribe. Uh, Twitch, same thing. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe. If you're over on TikTok, I do have a subscribe button over there. Or if you feel like you don't want to subscribe but you'd rather follow, feel free to do so. Um, I'm not asking for any handouts or money or anything like that. So if you feel that it's worth it to help me out to keep my show on, that would be great. This is California Hunts Radio. We broadcast Sunday through uh, Sunday through Friday every every week. Sunday is our reading day. The rest of the week we have paranormal-themed guests on, and I, th I think you'll enjoy it. Okay, so without further ado, let me get in here get comfortable, making sure I'm not going to be too hot, and uh, let's read. Omnipresent. We're in Chapter 4. Let me get a little drink of water here because it is, you know, the air conditioner is on, but the thing is the backdrop blocks the air conditioner. So once I step over there, it's like 10 degrees lower than it is over here. So again, it's Sunday reading day. We are reading from Omnipresent. 
And please tap that screen, TikTok. Please tap that screen, tap that screen, tap that screen. Show me some love. Show me some love, everybody. That goes for everybody else, too. That's chapter four. The Sleepless Family Sleepover. I drove to the trailer and gathered supplies for a big family night sleepover. I got clothes for the kids to wear for school the next day and food to prepare for dinner, as well as some popcorn for a movie snack, cereal for breakfast, and bed pillows. For Sally, I got leashes, dog food, and, uh, and her water bowl. Our dog, Sally, was also going along for the sleepover. This would be her first sleepover visit to the East Flat Rock House. I loaded everything into the car with Sally in addition to a few more packed boxes of toys. I left early and put gasoline into my car and then continued on to pick up my kids from school. Sally was so excited to get to go along for the ride in the car. Again, if you like what you hear, show me some love. Tap that screen. After picking everybody up, my kids talked about their day at school and their plans for the evening movie. While driving on the interstate south, I was glad to see that the rain had stopped. My children would be able to play outside. I warned Austin and Brittany about the neighborhood dog. I told them about what had happened to me the day before. We finally arrived and pulled into the driveway. I warned my children that if they saw any dogs outside, they were to go inside the house at once. This rule would apply until we got home, and until, sorry, until we got to know the dogs in the neighborhood and establish which were friendly and which were not. My children got out of the car and ran up to the front door. Sally got out of the car while still on her leash and also ran towards the doors with me trailing behind. Then she veered away from the front door towards the front yard. I figured that she was looking for a potty spot. I unlocked the door to let my kids inside the house and waited outside for Sally to find her potty spot. This process took a little while as she sniffed and left messages in about five areas. Finally, it came time for Sally to come inside of her new home. As I entered first, Sally balked at the front door entryway. She pulled back, almost pulling her collar off over her head. She wouldn't cross the threshold into the house, no matter how I tried to coax her. She paced and paced back and forth, whimpering. I let go of her leash to set my purse down inside of the foyer. I came back outside of the house to pick Sally up and carry her inside. She had bolted to my car. I figured that maybe she didn't want to get, go to, or she didn't get to finish her potty. So I took her over to a large tree and tethered her there with a long lead. She seemed content there, watching the kids play and investigating the new territory. I prepared dinner and called the kids to come in and eat. I gathered Sally on her leash and walked through the front doorway of the house. She stopped and sat down. She fought my attempt to coax her inside of the house. Finally, I had to pick her up and carry her inside over the threshold. When I put Sally down, she paced back and forth at the front door. She pawed at the door and whimpered for a good ten minutes before she finally appeared to be darting around the house looking for another exit. Sally finally settled in the family room with Brittany and Austin, who were playing video games. Weeks later, my daughter and son finally told me about the incident that occurred while they were in the family room with Sally. Moments later, Sally appeared in the doorway of the kitchen, trembling. I called her over. She hesitated and ran into my arms. I felt waves of trembling going through her body. I got a towel to wrap around her and use as a blanket. I assumed she was cold. She stayed on the towel until I was ready to leave the kitchen. I noticed that my kids had moved their video game playing out of the family room into the master bedroom just down the hall. I applied the wallpapers mortar in both Austin and Brittany's bedrooms. Austin's room was then completely ready for new wooden flooring to be installed. Every room in the house had either been started in some way or was waiting to be finished with paint or decorum. I wanted to have at least one room 
that I could go into and have, have completely finished. So I decided to paint the smaller bathroom in the master bedroom. I felt that I could start and finish the painting part of it before my bedtime. I gathered my painting supplies from the kitchen and went down the hallway of the master bedroom. To my surprise, as I stood in the doorway of my bedroom, not only had my children moved their PlayStation and television into my master bedroom, but they had also pulled most of the queen-size blow-up mattresses into the room as well. They had the mattresses set up on the floor side by side with their television at the top between the mattresses. Sally also lay between the mattresses. She looked up at me with her soulful eyes and her schnauzer nub of a tail whittled back and forth. I entered my bedroom and my son asked me, Mommy, is it all right if we sleep here with you? Yes, I answered. And Sally too? He asked. Of course. I told my kids that I was going to paint the master bathroom and that if they needed to use the toilet, that they would need to use the bathroom in the hallway. I opened the three large windows of the master bedroom that went into the bathroom and shut the door. Even though my paint was was a brown with low fumes, I still didn't want to take any chances with the fumes now that my children were going to sleep in my bedroom. With the bathroom door closed, I opened the bathroom window and started painting. I could overhear my kids talking and watching a movie from the other side of the door. I took a break from painting to make some Kool-Aid and popcorn. Then I went back to painting the master bedroom until I heard Sally growling. I opened the door and saw her laying on the floor between the two kids with her eyes open and fixated on the bedroom doorway. I quieted her as my children had fallen asleep and I didn't want her to wake them. I thought that maybe she needed to go outside, so I took another break to let Sally out in the backyard. Sally once again balked at returning into the house. I had to carry her back inside. When I put her down onto the floor, she bolted down the hallway back into the master bedroom and again nestled between the two mattresses on the floor. I went back into the bathroom and finished painting. When I came back out, I shut the bathroom door quietly. I took all of my supplies into the kitchen to clean them. I looked up at the clock, and it was a few minutes after 11 p.m. I had not realized that it would take me that long to paint the bathroom. I cleaned up my paint mess and turned on the overhead stove light, then shut off the ceiling light and headed towards the hallway to the master bedroom. As I walked out of the kitchen doorway and started to pass the wrought iron stair railing to my right, I caught a glimpse out of my peripheral vision of the most horrific creature that I've ever seen. It was something that was definitely not of this earth. I stood paralyzed in my tracks for about 30 seconds, trying to make sense of what I had seen. It was a silhouette of a swiftly moving figure coming up the ascending stairs from the lower level. The figure then shot across the double entry doors and up the second set of stairs onto the main level, right in front of where I was standing. Then it disappeared down the hallway towards the master bedroom. The figure's silhouette was static looking in appearance, like it was furry or fragmented, its color was a dull medium brown with wolf-type features and stood upright on its haunches. Its feet appeared to be moving so fast that it looked like fluttering movement below its lower torso. I'm 5'9", and this entity was only about two inches shorter than me. It had a large, bushy, squirrel-like tail and long, tapering, rabbit-type ears that were at each side of its head, not on top. They were turned backwards and were grazing over the tops of the narrow shoulders. It appeared to be hunched over. Its upper limbs were smaller and bent at the elbows with long nails. Its face was wolf-like, with, narrow, with narrowing towards the nose. It had large nasal openings, similar to a horse, that took up almost all the space on the end of its nose. The skin appeared to be sunken in over the bone. I was horrified. I gasped, thinking, oh my God, what was that? I tried to make sense of what I'd just seen. 
I started to rationalize that it had to have been a motorcycle or vehicle outside that had passed underneath the streetlight, and that its reflection was what I had just seen moving across my wall. Even though no one had actually passed by the street, and it was quiet, I still assumed that the light and shadow had come from the sliding glass doors that were uncovered. I started rationalizing that it was late at night and that I was tired. I also had not had anything to eat or drink since dinner and thought that I must be a little dehydrated. Maybe I didn't have good enough, good enough, good enough ventilation while I was painting and the fumes were getting to me. I felt that my own imagination had gone wild. Then I heard my dog Sally, who was in the master bedroom with my sleeping children at the end of the hallway. She was growling. I quickly headed down the hallway for the master bedroom. When I entered, Sally was standing up with her hair raised on her back and her eyes fixated on the doorway. Even after I passed through the doorway and was standing inside the bedroom next to her, Sally still didn't take her eyes off that doorway. She continued to growl in a way that I've never heard her do before. I stroked Sally's back and said, It's okay, girl. She acknowledged me briefly by putting her ears back, yet her eyes remained focused on that doorway. I told her again that it was okay, and that it was probably just a raccoon or something making noise outside. I assumed that. Since I had the master bedroom windows open, Sally had heard something outside. She was used to being kept indoors with, air, with the air conditioner on and the windows closed. Getting to have the windows open was a luxury that we didn't get while living in a trailer park. Open windows in a trailer park were an invitation to unknown outcomes, not a luxury. I just figured that Sally wasn't used to the sounds of the outdoors. Finally, when I lay down, she settled down on the floor next to me and went to sleep. The next morning, Brittany awakened me at 6 a.m. and told me she didn't sleep well during the night. I felt like something was standing in the doorway watching me. It kept waking me up, Brittany said. Sally and I had some trouble sleeping too, I replied. Sometimes it takes a little while to get used to a new surroundings, and once we get moved in and settled, it'll get better. I got up and took Sally outside into the front yard to potty while the kids were getting ready for school. When Sally finished, she ran over to my car and started whimpering and pawing at the car door. Since it was a cool morning and still dusk outside, I knew that Sally would be okay if I let her into my car. I unlocked my car and let her inside. I rolled the windows partially down so that Sally could be comfortable while waiting for us for the 15 minutes that it would take everyone to finish getting ready to leave. As I, turned, as I turned on the walkway of the house, to my surprise, my children were already coming out the front door. They had already gotten dressed and ready for school. They had even brought their book bags and my purse outside. We already locked all the doors, Brittany told me. Can we please go now and get something to eat? After dropping the kids off at school, I drove Sally home to, to the single wide. While I was there, I contacted the handyman to confirm that he was still coming to the house that day to lay the wooden flooring. He said he was and that I would be and that it would be completed by the following Tuesday as planned. This would allow ample time for the flooring to dry. It was also conveniently the day that I would normally have been returning to the house after recuperating from my weekend night shift. I told him where I had left a key for him to get in the house and asked him to keep it until I saw him on the upcoming Tuesday to pay him. He agreed. Chapter 5. All right, so uh, we're reading from Omnipresent. I have permission from the author and the publisher to read this. If you like what you hear, tap that screen, tap that screen, to let me know, show me some love, and I'll continue with this, and I'm going to read for about an hour, and that'll call it a day. So let's continue. This is a true ghost story uh, written by Lynn Monet. Disappearing Workers. Monday morning came with a nice surprise. A retired couple to whom I had previously shown the single wife to had made me a cash offer on it. Everything seemed to be falling into place smoothly. 
The tentative new owners wanted to use the trailer as their seasonal home during the summer months. They seemed anxious to move in. I met with them that afternoon and took their offer along with a deposit and signed the contract. The contract gave me 30 days to finish moving out of the single line. On Tuesday morning, I called my mother and invited her to come along with me to see my new house. This was the first time for her to see it. It was I was also anxious to see how the new flooring that had been installed over the weekend turned out. I stopped to thank the Lord for his blessings. My mother had agreed to meet me at my trailer so that we could both so that, so that we could fill both our cars with pack boxes to be moved. Then she would follow me to the house with her vehicle and help me unload to put things away. My mother and I arrived at the house. She loved the location and the look of the house from the outside. She hugged me and said, No one deserves this more than you. Oh, Lynn, this has got to be a gift from God. And since it was my mother's first time to see the house, I told her that I wanted to show her around first before unloading the boxes. This has got to be a God-sent reward for all that you and the kids have been through, she said to me again. We approached the front door, and the key went into the lock easily for a change. I opened the door and immediately noticed that the wooden flooring had not been installed in the foyer. I figured that maybe the handyman misunderstood that the foyer was supposed to be included, or that he ran out of materials. As we entered the foyer, my mother was very impressed with the house. I went up the stairs to the living room, then the formal dining room, and no wooden flooring had been installed there either. The only room that had any flooring work started was Austin's bedroom, which had which only had a third of the floor it was completed. I tried calling the handyman to find out what had happened and left a message with him to call me back. While waiting for his response, I walked with my mother from room to room. My mother absolutely loved the house. When we entered the kitchen, the spare key that had been left for the handyman was sitting on the countertop. My mother and I unloaded the boxes hang on, my mother and, I unloaded, and put them in the spare bedroom downstairs. Afterward, I noticed that my mother was standing by the front door holding her arms in front of her. She had an omelet on her face. Mom, are you okay? I'm feeling very nauseated, she replied. I think I need to step outside for a minute and get some fresh air. We stepped outside together. Are you hungry, I asked. Do you have anything with you to eat? I was concerned. And my, mother was, my mother was diabetic. No, I'm not hungry, she replied. Maybe a bubbly soda will help my stomach. Why don't you go sit down in the car and I'll finish unloading the last few boxes, I insisted. We'll leave in a few minutes and get something for you. I quickly finished unloading the cars. After I locked the house, we would go to a nearby diner that I had seen and wanted to try. As I approached the car to my mom, after I, sorry, as I approached the car, my mom said that she felt better that the fresh air had helped her. We ate lunch. Then I drove my mother back to the East Flat Rock house to pick up the car. She followed me back home to my single wife. There, she spent the evening with me, packing more boxes and watching a movie with her grandchildren. My mother volunteered to return with me to East Flat Rock the next day. She wanted to help me unload and put away the many items from the boxes that we had brought. I was thrilled to have the extra help and the time to spend with my mom. The next day, I picked, up my, I picked my mother up and drove her over to the house. We happily discussed all of the possibilities for decorating the rooms. After we arrived and finished unloading the boxes, I took a quick break to call the handyman again. I was puzzled that he had not returned my call from the previous day. I wanted to find out what had happened and if he was planning to return to the house to complete the flooring job. I left another phone message for him. My mother came from, the, from down the hallway. She had been in Brittany's bedroom and asked me, Do you notice a foul odor like dead carcass emitting from the wall between Brittany's closet and the window? I had noticed it too, I said. Maybe a mouse or something had died inside the wall. There was nothing other than Brittany's PlayStation television in her room. And those were nowhere near the smelling wall. The new furniture had not even been placed in Brittany's room yet. 
my mother became overly nauseated and needed to get some fresh air again. So I opened the sliding glass door, and we both walked outside into the under the deck. The fresh air seemed to ease her nausea almost instantly. I once again took a moment to call the handyman, without leaving a message this time. And a few minutes later, I got a return call. The handyman told me that one of his other jobs needed him, and that I would that I would need to get someone else to finish the flooring job. I was disappointed, and now feeling very pressured for more time. I only had 25 days left to finish the flooring and to move out of the single life. I knew that I would have to start looking right away for someone to complete the job. My mother and I went back inside the house. We walked down the hallway to discuss decorating ideas. My mother once again complained of nausea. I thought that maybe her blood sugar was low and that she needed to eat something. I decided to pack up and leave early and go, you know, to go get a bite to eat. I drove my mother home without further nausea problems. The next day was filled with a lot of errands and picking. And packing, sorry. So I did not return to the house. That evening, Austin had baseball practice. While we were there, I mentioned to Austin's coach about my flooring dilemma. I asked him if he knew anyone that could do flooring. He said that he did flooring work on the side and would be able to help me. He agreed to come over to the East Flat, to the East Flat Rock House four days later and give me an estimate. I thank the Lord. I returned to the house the following day alone and continued painting. I put the third coat of red paint on the living room and dining room walls. Then it was getting close to time for me to leave. I had to leave the house earlier than my usual 2 p.m. because both of my children had orthodontist appointments. I went into the kitchen with my paintbrushes and started rinsing them in the sink. As I was standing at the sink with my back turned to the breakfast nook, I heard this loud buzzing, static, gurgling noise coming up closer from behind me. I glanced over my shoulder as I continued to rinse out my paintbrushes to see what the noise was. I saw out of the peripheral vision a dense smoke that was barreling up toward, upward from the baseboard to the ceiling. I was concerned that there was a fire inside the wall and that I needed to get out of the house. I dropped the partially rinsed paintbrushes into the sink and rinsed off my hands quickly. I grabbed my purse off of the kitchen counter along with my cell phone and started to exit. I had planned to call 911 once I got outside safely. Then, as I turned to go out the kitchen's exit and was looking directly at what I had originally thought was smoke, I noticed that the barreling smoke was now lowering down from the ceiling to about mid-level on the wall. It was becoming more condensed, like a hedge. I remember thinking that it was impossible for the smoke to be lowering like that from the ceiling. Smoke goes up. There were no AC vents, open windows, or ceiling fans in the room that could have blown the smoke back down like that. The smoke started to appear more like smog as it condensed. I could smell a strong scent of musty basement not smoke from the fire. I stood in the kitchen, mesmerized, trying to make sense of what I was seeing just several feet away from me. As I stood there, paralyzed in total disbelief, I saw this horrific creature stepping into the fog. My body went numb. It reminded me of one of those greenish-gray flying monkeys from the original Wizard of Oz. It stood with dangly, long, thin legs and stepped into the fog, then crouched down with his legs on, on each side of its body like a frog. Its knees came up to its shoulder level as it sat there. The transparent creature just rocked from side to side as it looked past me, to my right, into the room. It took my breath away. The entity appeared chimp-like with, with small bumpy horns all over the top of its head. It never looked at me. It seemed to be paying attention to something else in the room behind me. I could feel the hair on the back of my neck lifting as I started to pray for the strength to run from the room. It felt like my feet were stuck in cement. 
I quickly exited the home, not caring whether everything was shut off or cleaned up. I was out of there. I locked the knob, I locked the knob lock that day, and I was not going to deal with a sticky deadbolt lock. Once I got into my car and drove off my block, I started to feel relief. I wasn't sure what it was that I had just seen. I had never seen anything like it before, and didn't want to ever see anything like it again. I was visibly shaking and didn't return to the East Flat Rock house until it was time for me to meet with my son's coach to get an estimate on the flooring several days later. Austin's coach phoned me to let me know that he was running late that day. I waited in my car outside the house for him to arrive. We entered the home together, and I showed him what I, what I needed to have done. He said that he was available to do it during the upcoming weekend. I was thrilled. As time was running out for my family to move, I gave him the spare key so that he could let himself into the house over the weekend. We agreed to meet at the house the following Tuesday. I would pay him then and get my key back. The house seemed very peaceful at that time. We left the house together. Even though the house seemed very peaceful, I still had no interest in being there alone. I worked over the weekend and started feeling a little ridiculous about what I thought I had seen in the East Flat Rock house the week before. I started to feel comfortable again after being away from the house and in the familiar surroundings of my single white home. My single white never had supernatural problems or issues. I started making plans with a friend of mine to leave her three sons, to have her three sons help me move my furniture into the East Flat Rock house the following week. The closing date for the single white, the last day of school, were quickly approaching. I called my mother to see if she'd be available to take a ride with me over to the house. We both were looking forward to seeing how the newly installed wooden flooring had turned out. The coach and I had previously planned to meet at the house around 11 a.m. I loaded up my car with boxes and headed over to my mother's house and picked her up. I was glad she came along. We stopped on the way to get my mother some lunch to prevent her nausea and caught up in slow, in slow construction traffic. It then took me about 45 minutes to get to the house. I was running 25 minutes late to meet with the coach. I tried to call him to tell him that we were on our way, but he didn't answer his cell phone. My mother and I finally arrived at the East Flat Rock house, and the coach was not there. I thought that maybe he had left because he didn't think we were coming, or that maybe he had left to go somewhere for a short time and would return momentarily. I hoped he had gotten the message that I had left for him about us running late. I called his phone again to let him know that we were at the house. He didn't answer, so I left another message. My mother and I walked up the front door with our hamburger lunches. We planned to eat them inside. Upon opening the door, once again, the wooden flooring had not been installed in the foyer. As we continued into the house, the flooring had not been installed anywhere. I noticed in the corner of Austin's bedroom some tools that had been left behind. I was puzzled and tried calling the coach again to see if something had happened and if he was planning to come back and finish the job, but still got no answer. I figured at that point, if I didn't get a response from him, I would see him at Austin's upcoming baseball practice. My mother and I unfolded the boxes from my car and put the items away. I'm sorry, I loaded, not unfolded. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. My mother and I unloaded the boxes from my car and put the items away. Everything seemed peaceful in the house. We reloaded the empty boxes into my car and left to pick up my children. I dropped my mother off at her home. I planned to return to the East Flat Rock house later that day to mow the grass and I promised my children that they could bring along their mutual friend, Jason, to see the house. I loaded the lawnmower into the trunk of my car while waiting for my kids to grab a quick snack. And then we headed over to pick up Jason. I figured that it would be cooler outside in the evening. This would make it easier for me to mow the half acre with my push mower. Once we arrived, I had Jason help me lift the lawnmower out of the trunk and, fill it with, and filled it with gasoline. 
Then I went inside and washed the gas off my hands and opened up the sliding glass doors. The sun was shining into the windows, and everything seemed comfortable to me in the house. In that moment, I started to doubt all the eerie shadows that I had seen. I had also put aside the thoughts about any strange things that had occurred previously in the house. I felt that, once finished, this house would be a nice home for my family and I. I overheard the children downstairs in the family room playing video games. I called to them to let them know that I would be going outside to mow the grass and that they would get pizza for dinner. They responded with a unanimous, Yay, pizza! I mowed the grass while Austin and Jason continued to play video games downstairs in the family room. Brittany had moved upstairs to her bedroom. A short time passed and often left Jason alone for a few minutes while he went upstairs to get something to drink. Jason was seated on the fireplace hearth, contentedly playing a game on the PlayStation while he waited for Austin's momentary return. All of a sudden, a flash of light shot out of nowhere, directly at him, hitting him in the chest. The light hit him so hard that it pushed his upper torso back, placing his head and neck into the fireplace and pinning him there. A triangular, eerie, bright light hovered over him in the chimney. He was unable to move or speak. Then, all of a sudden, it disappeared, and he was released within seconds of Austin returning to the downstairs room. Did you see that? Jason asked. See what? Austin asked in return. I didn't see anything. So Jason said, never mind, and he didn't feel that Austin would believe him anyway. Jason was feeling uncomfortable. He decided to go upstairs to see what Brittany was doing. So the two boys moved from the family room up into Brittany's bedroom until it was time to get pizza. The next day, I spoke to one of my co-workers and told her about my flooring dilemma. I explained that I needed the renovations and flooring to be finished at the East Rock Flat House, at the East Flat Rock House soon. I'm having a really hard time finding someone reliable to finish the flooring work in my new house, I told her. They say that they will do it, and then they leave and don't come back. I'm getting desperate. We have limited time. We have limited time before we need to be out of the trailer. And I want the flooring finished before we move in. My cousin might be interested in doing it, she told us. She told me. He is between jobs right now. Let me know if the coach doesn't return to finish the job, and I'll give you my cousin's phone number. Thank you, I will, I replied. I plan to see Austin's coach tonight at the baseball practice. I took Austin to his little league practice. When we arrived, the coach was not there. I found out that my son's previous coach was no longer coaching my son's team and had been replaced with the daughter of the team sponsor. I inquired about the coach, and no one seemed to know when it happened or where he was. Even his kids, who had previously been playing on the team, were no longer there. I was convinced that something terrible must have happened. I called his phone two more times, and the next day, and finally got a response. He told me that there had been an illness in his family and that someone had been hospitalized. He apologized and said that he would not be able to finish the work, nor did he want to be paid for any work. Then he asked that I leave his tools outside of the garage door in a box so that he could come by and pick them up. He said that he would be in the area sometime the coming week. The tools sat there for three weeks. He never showed up to collect them, and additional phone calls I made to the coach got disconnected never recording. I called my co-worker and got the number that she had offered me for her relative. I called the number and made the arrangements for my co-worker's cousin, Bobby, to come over to the East Flat Rock House that upcoming day, Tuesday. I needed the flooring completed, especially since I had also made arrangements in the coming week on Thursday to have my furniture moved from the single white into the house. My children had an extra day off from school during that week because of any snow days. Oddly, it was on a Thursday, so my friend's three sons were also off from school. I needed to return to the house and finish the weeding. Bernie and Austin did not want to go to the house that day. 
I promised to take them to the zoo after I finished the weeding on the lawn. So they agreed to go, and all three of us loaded up into the car to head back to the East Flat Rock House. Remember, if you like what you hear, show, give me a thumbs up. Give me happy faces. Show me some hearts. TikTok, tap that screen, tap that screen. Please tap that screen. After having trouble once again with the key and lock, we went into the house. I opened the windows and the sliding glass doors to let some fresh air inside and also to keep an earshot of my kids while I was outside. Bernie was in her room with Austin. Then Austin had to go to the bathroom and decided to use the one in the master bedroom. While he was in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet, he looked up at the slightly ajar door. He saw these long, knurled-looking fingers followed by hands with dirty long nails coming through the bathroom door and reaching around the edge of one side. Before he could scream out for help, Brittany came running into the master bedroom with a mirror and seemed to be chasing something around with it. The creepy hands disappeared and Austin got out of the bathroom as fast as he could. Nothing was said to me about the incident until the following week. The children felt that I would not believe them. Remember, this is a true story of Lynn Monet and her experience buying a haunted house and trying to move in with her kids. Scary stuff, scary stuff. All right, if you like what you see, tap that screen. Show me some love, you guys. The children were anxious to leave. They came out on the deck three different times within 45 minutes that we were there. Asking how much longer before we would leave. Actually, yeah. I just figured that they were anxious to go to the zoo. I finished the lawn, and on our way to the zoo, I received a call from my co-worker, Bobby, to tell me that he could not come to the house and finish the flooring until the following Friday. I was disappointed and frustrated. Now, we would have to stack all the furniture being moved to the house on Thursday into the breakfast nook and kitchen areas and move it again once the floors were finished. I trusted that the Lord knew what he was doing and figured that the moving in might have scratched up the new flooring anyway. Chapter 6. Hang on, I'm going to pop up on my computer. Hang on, guys. Chapter 6. Again, this book is by Lynn Monet. It's called Omnipresent. We have permission from Lynn Monet. Lynn Monet to read this, and we have permission for the publisher to read this. It is a true account of a woman who buys a haunted house without realizing it, and uh, what the family went through. So if you like what you hear, double tap that screen up on TikTok, double tap that screen. Uh, give me some thumbs up, and show me some love on Facebook and YouTube. Eerie Shadows, Chapter 6. Thursday morning came quickly. My friend Janice showed up bright and early with her three sons and her husband's pickup truck, pulling a trailer to my single wife. For the big moving day. Janice and I worked together as nurses on the same floor and same shift. We had known each other for over five years. Our kids over the years had grown up together and all were very good friends. The loading began piece by piece. Most of all the furniture was loaded except for both the children's old bedroom sets and mine. Those would go in the last final load. We would still be sleeping in the trailer for one more week. This would allow for things to get settled and finished on the house. When all the vehicle with all the vehicles loaded, we headed south for the 25-minute drive to East Flat to East Flat Rock. Once we arrived, I gave Janice a quick tour of the house while my children did the same with their friends, one of whom was Jason, the same boy who had been over at the house previously. The last things packed were boxes that had been strategically placed among the furniture and would need to be unloaded first. When we arrived, the boys, including my son Austin, all started taking boxes into the downstairs bonus room and family room. While in the family room, they were confronted by, a horrific, by the horrific creatures that lived there. Three of the boys witnessed the same thing at the same time in the same room. The three boys, when asked separately after the fact, each described in detail being approached by a wolf-like figure that stood on its back legs. 
Two of the boys also mentioned seeing a monkey-type creature. It scared them so badly that they left quickly. One of Jason's older brothers gave one of the creatures the finger as the three of them left the room. Now it was time for the furniture to be unloaded. In preparation for it, we had, we had to open both sides of the double entry doors. It took four of us to lift the massive solid cherry wood dresser that needed to go into Brittany's bedroom on the upper level. We unloaded it from the flatbed trailer and carried it into the front yard. As we aligned it with the front door, I stepped into a small dip in the grass and twisted my ankle. We had to put the dresser down on the grass until I was able to, to determine if my ankle was okay. Then we carried the dresser inside and up the stairs. Afterwards, Janice and her oldest son went into the kitchen for a drink of water. They then joined us again to continue unloading boxes and furniture until everything had been taken into the house. I was so grateful to have had their help. We were going to attempt a second load, but everyone, everyone was exhausted, so we decided to combine the second load with the last load for the following week. I had a closing date set for 10 days from that point on my single wife, that point on my single wife, by which I needed to have all my belongings out and moved into my new home. We all had decided to call it a day and drive back to Asheville. The kids had school the next day and needed to get ready for bed. The next morning came, and I met up with Bobby at the house to let him in. He started doing the flooring work. I planned to finish up some decorative sponge painting in the hallway outside of my son's bedroom where Bobby had started working. I offered to let him stay in the house that night so that he could not have to drive back and forth to such a far distance. The house was still vacant, yet my daughter's new bedroom had furniture had been delivered and was set up with bedding in her room. He thanked me and said that he would consider it, depending on how much he was able to finish and how tired he was. He said that he planned to stay late working. He had to pull up a major part of the existing wooden flooring that had already been started in Austin's bedroom, since it had not been laid properly to begin with. He then started fresh. In the meantime, I finished the last layer of a box finish on the hallway wall. Bobby and I talked while we were working. When I got to the end of the hallway with a view of the stairs, I could see in my peripheral vision a young man coming up the stairs. I could see that he had on a white Oxford long sleeve shirt that was tucked into a pair of straight-legged blue jeans that stopped near the ankle, exposing his sockless brown loafers. I had a side view of his face. He had straight brown hair that was cut short and parted down the middle. His expression was somber. He appeared to have a ruddy complexion, like severe acne that reddened his cheeks, making them appear darker or sunken. He seemed so real that I thought he had walked into the house without knocking. So I said out loud to the young man, Did you knock? Then I looked directly at him, and nothing was there. Bobby answered from the bedroom, No, I just dropped something. I realized at that moment that there was a ghost in my house. I was relieved not to be in the home alone. The ghost of the young man seemed harmless enough. Nevertheless, I didn't want him in my new home. I didn't say anything to Bobby about it. I was afraid that he would think that I was mentally unstable. I had heard of such situations before, but had always doubted their validity. I had always thought that people had to be doing ungodly acts to bring those types of things into their lives. I was and still am a God-loving woman. This shook me up pretty badly. I didn't know what to do. I told Bobby that I needed to leave and pick up my kids from school, and that I would be back the next day to see how things were coming along. I was trembling and got out of the house as fast as I could. I stopped at the convenience store for a drink and a pack of gum. I sat in my vehicle dazed for about 20 minutes, thinking over and over about all the things that had been happening in the house that were now taking on a different point of view. I knew that my children could never know about this. It would scare them too badly. Little did I know, they already knew. I felt that through the church and prayer, all this could be made right. 
but I was clueless as to where to start. Then I realized what time it was. I needed to head to Asheville. About 30 minutes later, while I sat and waited in the pickup line for my son's school, I got a call from Bobby, who was still at the East Flat Rock House. He told me he needed to leave and would come back the next day when I would be there. I asked him if everything was okay, and he responded, I don't have my saw with me to do the cuts. I found this to be odd because I remember seeing his saw in the back of the vehicle. So I replied, would you be able to lay the pieces of flooring that don't need cutting first and finish the cuts tomorrow? His response was, there is something weird about this house. I have never experienced anything like this before. And the line dropped. I tried to call him back and was unable to reconnect with him until about an hour later. When I finally spoke to him again, Bobby, Bobby told me that he had not closed the windows. This meant that I would have to go back to the house that evening and secure everything I had not, okay, I had not planned to return until the weekend. I asked what had happened to him, and he responded, Oh, nothing. I would, I would just prefer to be there when, when, when you were there. I reminded him that I would not be back until the following Tuesday, and that I needed to have the floor finished by then, so, what, so that we could finish moving our furniture in the house. He said that he would return the next day with his girlfriend, if that was okay. Is something wrong? I inquired again. No, he said. I will get the work done over the weekend. I thanked him and called my neighbor, Ellen, to see if she would be available to return to the house with me that evening to help me pull the air conditioning unit inside the second floor window. She said that she would be available right after work. She also wanted to see my new house. I picked Ellen up from her work and drove her home to drop off her things, then drove over with her to the East Flat Rock house, to the East Flat Rock. During our drive, I asked her, do you believe in ghosts? Hell yeah, she said. Why? I told her about the man that I had seen on the stairs earlier in the day. I also told her that I had some concerns about all the odd things that had been happening in the house and that I suspected that they were also ghost-related. I told her that I appreciated her coming along for the ride with me and that if she felt uncomfortable about going inside the house, she could stay in the car and I would go across the street to see if the man who lived there would be able to help me pull the AC inside. This was the first time that I had spoken to anyone about the ghosts. Ellen said that she didn't have a problem going into the house to be to help. As we pulled into the driveway, Ellen marveled at the house. We got out and walked up, the, up to the doors. I got out my key, inserted it in the deadbolt, and unlocked the door. Then I, could, then I could not get my key back out. Ellen entered the foyer and waited as I struggled with the key. You're not going to leave me here and let the boogeyman get me, are you? She said, laughing. The key instantly released from the deadbolt, like magic. We walked up the stairs and I showed Ellen around the house. We stopped in Austin's bedroom to pull the air conditioning unit inside and to close the screenless window. Then we went from room to room, closing the windows and locking the doors. Ellen loved the house, but wished that it was not so far away from where she lived. She said that she was going to miss us. I remember that I wanted to show Ellen the hand-carved wooden horse heads that I had found for Brittany's bedroom decorum. I planned to use them to hang her valances over her windows. Brittany's bedroom had a wild horse seat. Ellen and I made our last stop in the kitchen before leaving. Ellen was standing eight inches away from me to my left, and both of us were facing the kitchen counter as I took the horse heads out of their boxes and had her one of each, one each in her each hand. As she stood there admiring the carved work of the horse heads, I could hear the familiar buzzing, gurgling sound that I had heard once before in the kitchen. I didn't say anything, assuming that I was the only person hearing it, until Ellen asked me, What's that sound? I reminded her about the ghost, assuming that it was harmless, and told her that we would be leaving in a few minutes. Ellen started screaming as she dropped the horses onto the countertop and grabbed her shirt, pulling it around to view the back of it.
It burns. She yelped. It burns. Is it a spider bite? It burns so bad. I pulled up the back of her shirt to see if she had been bitten by something. Right between her shoulder blades was a diagonal claw mark about four or five inches in length, extending under her bra strap. I stood there, perplexed, trying to make sense of the wound as it welted and started to bleed right in front of me. As a nurse, I knew this indicated that it was a fresh wound. Did you scratch yourself on something when you got out of the car, I asked. No, she said. Is it a spider bite? Suddenly, I felt the sensation of a bristly creature running swiftly in a figure-eight formation in and out of my legs. Ellen started screaming again. Whatever it was, it got it gotten her again. Ellen, being a large woman, was holding up her belly. On the lower part, there was another freshly wilting claw mark between her between her stomach and legs. The buzzing, gurgling electric sound was very loud in the room. As I looked behind Ellen, into the breakfast nook, the wall of smog was thickening in the room and coming our way. It covered the floor from ceiling. It covered from floor from ceiling. I started praying loudly into the room, commanding the evil forces to leave in the name of Jesus Christ and for, and for him to send his legion of angels to protect us from the evil in the room. I yelled at them to leave now in the name of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. Remember, if you're uncomfortable listening to this, move on. Don't turn me into to the TikTok police or anything like that. Just move on. Slowly, the smog seemed to move back out of the kitchen. It still seemed to hover in the doorway of the dining room. I told Ellen to go to the car and that I would lock the front door. We left swiftly. I wasn't about to have any issues with the deadbolt lock on the door. So I opted to lock the knob by hand only. I figured that if anyone wanted to break into the house, they would be in for a huge surprise. This house had more than to take care of itself. Once inside the car, Ellen was still wincing and complaining about the burning sensation that she had been clawed, where she had been clawed. She also complained of nausea. Girl, you've got a big problem, she said. In my peripheral vision, I could see green eliminating from the front of Ellen's shirt. I looked to see if she had any, anything glow-in-the-dark on her shirt, but found nothing. I know, okay, I now know that I have a very unreal problem, I told her, and I have absolutely no idea where to start doing something about it. Ellen's nausea subsided as we traveled away from the house. I dropped Ellen off at her home and returned to my single white trailer next door. I was still shaken by what had happened. I paid the babysitter. Then, thinking that my kids were asleep, I called my sister Lisa and told her about the issues with the house. At first, she tried to tell me that there had been some logical explanation for these things happening. Then she said that I should be protected by prayer and by asking things to leave. After getting off the phone with my sister, I heard my daughter's voice behind me. Mommy, I know what Claude Allen. I asked her what she meant, and she went on to tell me about what she and her brother had experienced in the house. They had never said anything about it before because they didn't think, about, think that I would believe them. She told me that there was a young man that walked the stairs. He had on dark colored pants, a white long sleeve shirt, and had short brown hair. She also said that his cheeks appeared sunken in and that he seemed sad. Then she described a wolf right down to the ears that were turned backwards over the wolf's shoulders. She went on to say that her first encounter with the wolf was on the day of the closing. She and Austin were playing with the PlayStation downstairs, and while she was sitting at the stone hearth in front of the fireplace, she felt a huff of air on the back of her neck. When she turned around, there stood a large wolf upright on its hind legs with red eyes and long, dirty nails. She said that she started to move her arms out away from her body like an airplane and then moved around the circular motion back and forth. 
moving only at the waist. That seemed to make the monster move away. And then she and her brother went upstairs to her bedroom to finish playing their game. The wolf runs the up, the up and the wolf runs up the up and down the stairs and plays with the lock on the front door. She said, and it stared at me from the doorway the night that we slept over. Brittany then told me about the incident with her dog Sally. She told me that she and Austin had gone downstairs once again to play their video game, and that Sally came down to the family room. Austin shut the door to keep the loud noise of the game from disturbing me. She said that when the thing that, that when the thing showed themselves in the room again, that Sally ran to the door pawing to get out and then scratched frantically at the walls where she could not find her way out of, her, out of the room. She even hid behind the chair while pawing, while pawing at the walls. So Austin opened the door and all three of them ran out. Sally ended up in the kitchen with me trembling. I acknowledged that I had also seen the things that she had described. It was the wolf that clawed Ellen, Brittany said. Then she completed her recollection with a description of a grayish-colored gargoyle with a bat over by the fangs. The gargoyle was what scared Austin. He, she said, while he was in the bathroom, so I chased it around the house with a mirror. She went on to tell me that she had seen on a television program that demons can't stand to see their own reflections, and that mirrors are portals that they avoid. So when she came out of her room and saw the gargoyle, she grabbed the small mirror and chased it. She also commented that the gargoyle grabs his feet and rolls around backwards on the downstairs rooms, laughing like a hyena. My heart dropped. I told her that I loved her, that I was sorry that I had, hadn't listened before. I felt terrible, and I would do everything possible to make sure that those things were out of that house before we moved in. I believed her. How could I even question what she had said? I too had seen these things, and so had other people who had come to the house. Brittany went to bed, but I stayed up late, searching for the first time in my life for information on the paranormal. Chapter 7 so over TikTok, if you like what you hear, please tap that screen. Show, show me you like this book. I know it's spooky, but, you know, it's a, it's a true story, Paranormal Reading Day Sunday that we have. Every week we do this. All right. Facebook, how's everybody doing over there? YouTube? All right, let's move on. Chapter 7, Hopeless Quest. Let me uh, drink some water here. This will probably be the last chapter we get through. This is not as hot as it could be. That's my dog, guys. It kind of made me jump after doing this story. <laughs> I was certain that I would be able to get the entities out of the East Flat Rock home. The next day, I started calling people that were religiously affiliated and who also knew me to be sane, incredible person. Remember, we're PG-13, guys, so if you don't like what you hear or it kind of freaks you out or goes against your religion or whatever, move on. Move on. I don't want to get banned. Just move on. I'm just reading a true story. I started with an Episcopalian priest from my place of work who had been there the past five years. I told him about the events and occurrences in the East Flat, home, East Flat Rock home. He listened intently. I was relieved that he believed me. He even told me that in his earlier years as a priest, he had been involved with exorcisms. Excuse me. He told me that he no longer did them, though and referred me to a Catholic diocese in Charlotte, North Carolina. He said that the Catholics still did things of that nature. I got the information and contacted the Catholic diocese in Charlotte and then awaited their call. I returned to work that evening and saw Janice, who asked me, how's the movie coming along? I started to cry. Janice, I asked, how long have you known me? You know me to be a sane person, right? Yes, she said. What's the matter? I think that my new house is haunted. 
Before I could say another word about it, she said, I have something that I need to tell you. Janice then began to tell me about what had happened to her while she was at my, at my East Flat Rock House just two days before, when we were all standing in the front yard getting ready to carry in the large dresser until I twisted my ankle. She said that she had looked up and noticed a shadow standing in the doorway of the house. Then, right after, I twisted my ankle. She looked up again, and it was gone. She went on to say that she and her oldest son had gone to the kitchen to get a drink of water. When she came out of the kitchen doorway, she noticed a shadow passing quickly across the front entry doors. It went up the stairs and down the hallway towards the bedrooms. Her feeling was that it had been the same shadow that she had seen before in the doorway. Then she said that she had also seen a monkey-like entity floating in midair, with its legs in a lotus position, right in front of her. Why didn't you say anything to me about it before, I asked her. Some people are more sensitive to those things than others, she responded, and I felt that maybe these entities would not bother you. Again, my heart dropped, and I asked her, do you know anything or anyone that I, that I could do to get them out? I want to talk to you about it more after my medicine pass, she said. I went to start my shift, and after all my work was caught up, I sat and told Janice about all the peculiar things that had been happening and how I had kept rationalizing. In a way, I was relieved to know that it was not just my imagination, and at the same time, I felt very unnerved about the ghost thing. I was a firm believer that I was protected by God. Janice suggested for me to have a blessing down the house. After I got off my shift, I found that I had missed call, missed a call from Bobby. The message that he left was to tell me that he had car problems and would not be able to do any work on the floor over the weekend, as originally planned. I had all these confusing thoughts and emotions, along with a lot of new decisions to make, that were not expected. I had no idea where to start. I could no longer be in my comfortable bubble of denial. What next? What next, God? I thought. Who would have thought that anything like this could ever happen? I now own a haunted house and, witness it, and, and had witnesses to the fact. I fell to my knees in prayer and begged God to get me out of this mess, to please send me the answers and the help to do his will. I wanted no part of what was in that house. I had never in my 42 years ever experienced anything like it. I felt that even if God wanted to abandon me, I would never ever go to the side of, the sa the side of, of, the, of Satan. Even with this huge test of faith, there had to be something that God had in mind for me. He would help me to find everything that I needed to get through this. I went to bed, I had to work again that night, and with so many thoughts in my head, didn't sleep well. I awakened and had dinner with my kids, and then got ready for work. When I arrived at work, I saw my co-worker coming off her shift and asked her to please ask, her to please ask Bobby about what had happened in my house that made him leave so quickly. I didn't get into a lot of detail at that time, but did indicate to her that I suspected it was because of paranormal activity. She said that she would be sure to ask him and let me know. I went on in my shift and started working until morning. I clocked out and went to pick up my children from my mother's house and take them to the school. Janice had worked with me and mentioned a religious store that she knew of. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I figured that I had to start somewhere, and this store might have some things that I could use to do a blessing or cleansing in the house myself. So after I dropped my children off at school, I headed over to the religious store. I got there before they opened, and while I waited, I made a phone call to my mother and told her about my newfound dilemma. She listened intently, and also suggested a blessing on the house. I told her that I was in the parking lot of a religious store and was waiting for them to open. I had only about a week left to move out of the trailer and into the East Flat Rock house. I asked if she would go with me the next day to help me do a blessing. 
I felt that two people of strong faith praying would be more effective than just one. She agreed to come along. I went to the religious store, and even though I felt very odd, as I had never been in one of these types before, I mentioned that the issue with I mentioned the issue with my house and asked if they had any suggestions. They told me what I needed to do to bless the house in prayer. They said that I needed to cleanse in the name of the Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. I spent eighty-five dollars at the store acquiring supplies. I wanted small crucifixes with Jesus on them that would be small enough to go over every interior and exterior doorway and window in the house. This was not required for the blessing, but a comfort measure for me. I wanted to have the Lord watching over every opening leading into and out of the house, as well as within the house. I went home and slept for a few hours, and then got up and picked my kids up from school. I decided not to return to the house with the children until this issue was resolved. I made a phone call to the Catholic Diocese in Charlotte once again, and spoke to a priest that took my message and would forward it to the Archbishop. He also explained to me that the Catholic Church only does exorcisms on people, not houses. I reassured him that I was not possessed, and told him that I had never in my life experienced anything like this before. I also made it clear that whenever I was away from the house, there were no issues in my single white trailer. Something was seriously wrong with the East Flat Rock House. The priest seemed a little uncomfortable with our conversation, and still reassured me that he would give my message to the appropriate person. For a brief moment, I contemplated what the priest must have thought of my story. I figured that he probably thought I was either a nutcase or that he was thankful not to be in my shoes. I looked online to see what exactly a paranormal group does and whether the whether what they did would be helpful to me. I found a lot of groups with tours and pictures. Then I found a paranormal group out of Georgia that seemed to be able to actually remove spirits. So I contacted them, leaving my cell phone number, and I confirmed that the agency was, that the agency was legitimate. After all, I didn't want an agency that would come to my home and take pictures and say to me, yep, lady, you got ghosts, and then leave me with, with the ghosts to find out later that they used my photos for their own financial benefit. I already knew that I had a ghost problem. And I wanted somebody who would be able to get the ghosts out of my house permanently. I could not imagine, as a mother, ever subjecting my children to a life in a haunted home. I envisioned, for a brief moment, my children coming to me in the night, with the normal complaints of, there is something under my bed, or there is something in my closet. These fears for most children are resolved by the use of a nightlight. I would have no way to comfort my children, because in my case, there really could be something horrifying under their bed, or even worse, in their bed and closet. An unwanted or an uninvited entity that could scare my children and inflict physical harm to them, which I had witnessed the spirit's ability to do with Ellen. And worse of all, I would not be able to stop it. I would be petrified myself. Talk about feeling helpless and violated. How could I fight something that, for the most part, I could not see and could not stop? How could I be at the peace in a home? How could I be at peace excuse me, in a home where uninvited spirits lurked? watching my children and me doing everything, even showering and sleeping. I shuddered. It wasn't like I could call 911 for help with this. They would haul me away for a psychiatric evacuation. My kids would be turned over to strangers from DSS. While I would be locked up in a mental institution, being declared mentally unstable and being sedated for it. I knew that not only would I not move my children into that house, but that my children would not return there until those evil entities were completely out. I knew that I was also going to have to renege on the contract to sell my single wide and hope to find another buyer when all these problems had been resolved. I needed a safe place to be with my children. Despite the fact that my daughter already knew about the entities, I opted not to tell my children about any of the details of the house blessings or exorcisms. 
I did want to frighten them more. I felt for sure that the situation was one that could be rectified and that we would eventually be able to move into our new house. All of my focus on moving into the East Flat Rock house shifted to getting the ghosts out of the house first. I went through the yellow pages and called multiple churches to see if anyone would be willing to come over and do a blessing on the house. With each phone call that I made, the door shut, most of them referring me to the Catholics. I was surprised with this new finding, especially since most religious establishments profess to be, chose, to be the chosen religion, while others claim to be the only ones going to heaven. So bring your money here. They, they manipulated the wording of their Bibles. Come to our church and make it into heaven, or go to another church and go to hell. This included my own denomination, Presbyterian, though the Presbyterian worded it more diplomatically than the Baptists. I was surprised that no churches wanted to take on this challenge and prove their superiority by helping me. Remember, this is opinion of the author. This is not my opinion, opinion of California Haunts. And we do have permission to read this book from the author and the publisher. If you don't like what you hear, move on. This is a PG-13 thing. I don't want to be banned. Just move on. I was surprised that no churches wanted to take on the challenge and prove their superiority by helping me. I knew that this was not God talking, but the human's fear. It wasn't God's fault. I forgave the people and understood, as I was human and horrified too. The difference in my case was that I was living in it, whether I wanted to or not. I just needed to find a religion with a strong enough faith and trust in God's ability to come forward. My thoughts were interrupted by a call from the Catholic Diocese. On the line was the Archbishop who reiterated to me that the previous priests had also told me they didn't do exorcisms on houses anymore, and in only extreme situations did they do them on people. He also had no advice or recommendation of anywhere I could get help. After that, I called a Presbyterian minister friend that I dated briefly the year before and told him about my dilemma. He felt also, as I did, that with this influence and credentials, he might be able to open some doors that I could not on my own. Even though he had never heard of anything like this before, he knew me to be a credible person. He told me that he was going to make some calls to people that he knew, one of whom was a Catholic priest that he had gone to college with, and then he would get back to me about what he had found out. I picked up my kids and we had an early dinner. Then we went to the movies. The next morning, I drove over to my mother's house and picked her up to come along with me to help with the house blessing. I was fully armed with sage bundles, white candles, flowers, and holy water. I also brought my Bible and crucifixes. I wasn't sure exactly what I, what I was supposed to do, but felt that any attempts with God's help would be a positive thing. I had total faith that these spirits could be removed from the house. My mother and I arrived to set up an altar in the foyer. This was the area that seemed to have had the most activity. My mother and I started with reciting the Lord's Prayer as we lit up the white candles. My mother read scriptures from the Bible out loud as we walked through the house slowly from room to room with burning sage holy water, and sea salt. After completing the blessing on the upper level, we came back down to the foyer. My mother became overly nauseated. She excused herself and stepped outside the front door as I continued the blessing. After a few minutes, she re-entered and we continued to the lower level of the house. We continued the blessing in the garage, workshop, family room, and bonus room. We recited prayer and read scripture aloud while blessing each room in the name of the Heavenly Father, Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit giving to God all the glory. My mother started to complain of feeling nauseous again. I could tell by the look on her face that she was not feeling well. I finished up the rest of the blessing quickly and went back upstairs to go outside. We decided to leave then, since our purpose for the day was to bless the house. I thought that maybe my mother needed something to drink or eat. I asked her to stay outside in the fresh air while I retrieved our purses from the kitchen. 
I'll take you to get something to eat after I, after I blow out the candles in the foyer to lock the, and lock the door, I told her. My mother nodded that she understood. I was certain that her prayers had done some good. My mother and I went through the drive-thru at a hamburger place, and then I drove her home. My mom said to me that she had been having intestinal problems ever since the time she had gone to the house with me. I figured that whatever bug she had was the reason for her nausea until that afternoon. On my way home from my mother's, I got a call back from the paranormal group that I had contacted the day before. After explaining my situation to the priest and answering his questions, he confirmed that I had a real problem. He warned me that nausea is a sign of psychic attack from demonic forces and that they can also leave visible bruises, claw marks, and bite marks. He also informed me that in his years of experience, he had had several cases of women being raped by demonic forces. He told me that he would be willing to come and help. The priest asked that I take some pictures, you know, of the inside of the East Flat Rock house and email them to him. I told him that I was going to be at the house the next day and would take some photos. I would email them that evening. The bite mark comment resonated in my head as I reacted, as I reflected back to a bite type mark that I had found on my son's leg the day after we spent the night at the East Flat Rock house. When I had asked Austin about it, he didn't seem to know where it had come from. That was enough for me. I called the interested buyers on my single line to apologize and tell them that I needed to renege on my contract and would return their deposit money. I was surprised when they were not upset about me breaking the contract. They told me that they had found another single line right after con contracting mine that was already in the location that they had wanted and had planned to move my single line too. I was happy that it worked out well for both of us. I needed more time to live in my single line while the haunted issue was being dealt with in my house. I was certain that something could be done. I spent hours researching the paranormal and continued contacting various religious groups to help me. Once again, I turned on the yellow pages. I turned in the yellow pages and went down the list, passing up only the ones that I had already called. I continued to be shunned instead of helped. All that it took was for someone to answer the phone and ask me if I was a member of the church. When I answered, hang on a second, okay, when I answered no, that would be their excuse for not helping me. I actually had a guy tell me that if I had attended his church, and I would be, not be having these problems. Figures. That's what I said, figures. That's my opinion. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would have helped me. This is what, that is what Jesus would have done. I know that he, I, I know that he would have. I love Jesus. I believe in the power of God, the Almighty, and he knows it. Even though I was being shunned and accused by religious people, I still did not let this stopped me. I took all of this happening to me as another extreme test of my faith and love for God Almighty. I proved to God that, despite human ignorance, I still trusted and believed that he would put me through this. And he did. By leading me to the appropriate God-loving people, the only religious with, religions with enough faith and the strength of God that came forward to help me were the Episcopalians, the Catholics, the Indians, the borderline, New Agers, and my friend. The Presbyterian minister but not his church followers. A few others offered to help, but not his church followers. Oh, I'm sorry. A few others offered to help, but would redig and didn't show up or wanted huge fees. I didn't care what religious denomination came in at that point. My choices were few, anyway. I surely didn't know what to do either, other than to pray. It would make the entities move, and to pray it would make the entities move away, but not permanently. I wanted any and all sources of the God, of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in prayer in my house to blast those things out of there. I got a call from my minister friend Stan, and he told me that he had spoken to a colleague of his whom he had gone to school with, 
and who was a Catholic priest. He felt that the priest would be able to help, even after finding that his own congregation would not. Stan made an appointment for us to go and meet with his, with, with his colleague in two days. I told Stan... Hang on a second. Okay. I told Stan about the conversation that I had had with the other priest, Eric, from the paranormal group. After hearing about what Eric had to say, Stan was interested in talking with him also. I didn't want to be in the H Slap Rock house alone anymore. I now dreaded even going there. I called my mom to see if she would go with me. I explained that I needed to take pictures for the priest and that I needed to email them to him as soon as possible. I can be ready in 30 minutes, she said. I drove over to my mother's house and picked her up. Then away we went, off to my haunted house. I walked through the kitchen taking pictures, especially along the ceiling line and without flash. After taking the photos, I went inside and met, for the first time, my next-door neighbor. He was an elderly gentleman who said that he had lived in the neighborhood since 1965, way before any of the other houses on that street were built back in the 1970s. He said that for many years, his house had been the only house on the street. He was the person who told me about the previous family only physically living in the East Flat Rock House for six months of the year that they owned the house. Prior to that, I knew that they had moved out early, but didn't know it was six months earlier that it had been listed for sale. I remember thinking that I wasn't surprised. I asked the gentleman if he knew of any problems with the house, like any details. He told me that the original owner's teenage son had committed suicide in the house by hanging himself in the stairwell, and that his mother found him. I never verified the records about this. I had no reason to doubt the man and his word. When I returned to the house, my mother and I packed up the empty boxes that we had brought to head for Asheville. Everything in the house that day had seemed pleasantly peaceful, but the priest had warned me that the spirits could lay low for a period of time, and I should not be fooled by it. When we arrived at my mother's house, she pointed out her neighbor's new roommate to me. She said that he did handyman work and that he had just been over to her house the other day to ask if she had any work that needed to be done. I approached him and introduced myself, asking if he would be able to help me with the flooring work at my new house. He said yes, but that it would need to be done in between another big job that he had just started doing for a contractor. I wrote down Larry's phone number and gave him mine. I told him that it could be on a moment's notice and that he said he would call me and thank me. I thanked him. I drove back to my trailer with my photo chip. I uploaded the picture of the house and interior to my computer and emailed a lot to Eric. I did not realize I had actually did, accidentally gotten, gotten images of the ghost of the first of four photos taken in the family room. The next day I got a call from Eric. He identified the entities and told me that he could come and do a blessing on the house the following week. He felt that in his years of experience the entities were demonic and that there was definitely more than one. The pictures here in this book are copies of the photos I took and sent to Eric. In the first photo with the fireplace is the wolf type image. It sits centered on the stoop in front of the fireplace. Another one to the right of it. A third entity appears in the photo as well, but can only be seen by a trained eye. This photo took them by surprise. The consecutive photos did not show them in such obvious forms as they anticipated. I told Eric about, about Stan and that he wanted to be involved too. I gave him Stan's phone number and the two of them made arrangements for Eric to come up to, the North, Carol to North Carolina the following Thursday. This was good for me, since I had previously made arrangements to have that weekend off for moving. I didn't return to the house except for once to mow the grass during that time, but I waited for Eric to come up from Georgia. Friday came, and I met with Stan at his church in the parking lot. I picked him up and drove to the Catholic Church, where he had made arrangements for me to speak with his colleague. He had previously discussed my situation with the priest. 
Stan introduced me to his colleague. Unfortunately for me, his office was filled with packed boxes. He told us that he this was his last day in that office and that over the weekend he would be transferred to a new cathedral many miles from Asheville. However, after hearing my story in detail, the priest suggested a blessing be done on the house. He said that he would talk to a colleague of his in the Hendersonville Cathedral. The priest would be this priest would be my contact person for making arrangements to have the blessing done. My being non Catholic would not be an issue. He would do it as a favor to Stan, and because he could see that I really needed it. The priest wrote down the name of the other priest in Hendersonville and gave it to us. We thanked him and left. I took Stan back to his Presbyterian church and dropped him off and then went back to my trailer. Stan called me later that afternoon to tell me that he had spoken to Eric and made the arrangements for Eric to come up the next week and do a blessing on the house. Stan said that he wanted to be involved so that in the future, if something like this were to happen to one of his own church followers, that he would be better, ab that he would be better able to know what to do and how to do it. The week went by quickly, as I went to the house of my mother only to mow the grass and do some landscaping. Everything seemed peaceful, almost like the entities knew that we were coming and hiding. When Eric arrived on Thursday, he phoned me and said that he wanted to go to the house that evening. He wanted to set up some tape recorders and his infrared camera that, the day before the blessing. I dropped my kids off at my mother's house for the night and drove over to meet Eric at his hotel. I picked him up and drove him over to the house. It was about 8 p.m. when we got there. Eric went around the house, determining, excuse me, determining where the best places would be to set up his recorders. He started asking, is anyone here? And gave any spirits the option to leave the premises at that time. He got all of this on tape to be listened to later. This went on for about two hours with all the lights off. As he walked from room to room, setting things up, it was dark outside while I waited for Eric to finish. I, fit, I became nauseous, almost to the point that I could hardly breathe. Eric approached me and said, What's wrong? I'm sick to my stomach, I replied. And he placed his cross over my stomach and commanded the demonic forces in the name of Jesus Christ to leave me alone. The nausea instantly stopped. I sat down on the floor on the first ascending step in the dark. Since I had been investigating paranormal on my own out of necessity, I had learned about orbs. There are four different orb colors, red, blue, yellow, and green. Blue and red separately are angels traveling or spirits of deceased loved ones who have crossed over. Yellow and green are lost souls like ghosts or more negative energies like lower level demons. However, a red and blue orb traveling together are the worst as those things are high level demonic forces. As I sat through the dark waiting for Eric to finish so that we could leave, I heard what sounded like a fly buzzing all of a sudden right in front of me. Stopping in midair was a blue golf ball sized sphere that hovered at eye level. Oh, good, it's a good spirit, I thought. Then the red golf ball-sized sphere came along and aligned, with, uh, aligned itself with the blue one. Off they went, side by side, and headed for the downstairs rooms. My heart sunk. I called Eric and told him what I had just seen. He headed down the stairs to the lower level in pursuit of the orbs. I went and sat in my car. Eric finished getting set up. He, he showed up to the car about 15 minutes later, and I drove him back to his hotel, then continued onto my trailer. I was exhausted physically, mentally, and emotionally. It was about 11 p.m. by the time I got back. As I was getting ready for bed, the phone rang. Concerned that it was an emergency, at that late of an hour, I answered the phone to a high-pitched static sound. Then, after about 30 minutes, the line dropped. I mean, sorry, 30 seconds, 30 minutes too long. The line dropped. I called my mother and woke her up to see if she had been trying to call me. Nope, everything is okay. Everyone's okay, she said. 
I hung up the phone. Almost immediately, it started ringing again. I answered it. It was a high-pitched static sound again, only the call was shorter this time and the line dropped. About two minutes later, my phone rang again. When I answered it, once again, it was the same high-pitched static, and once again, the line dropped, but after only a few seconds this time. Then the phone rang it again, and had me thinking now that it was a prank caller. The calls were starting to scare me, as I was thinking that someone must have known that I was home all along. I considered not answering it. However, when I, finally, when I did finally answer the phone again, I heard the priest's voice on the other end asking me if I had just tried to call him. He told me he had just gotten three consecutive phone calls in his hotel room, and he couldn't make out what was being said with all the static on the line. The line would drop, and I thought it was you trying to call me, he said. Is everything okay? The same thing just happened to me, I responded. Eric told me that this type of thing could happen when dealing with demonic forces. He said that he would pray, and that he wanted for me to pray with him for protection. The little bit that I was able to sleep that night was with all my lights on. I was home all alone. Even my dog was at my mother's. The next day, Stan met with Eric for breakfast, and then I rode up with him midday at the East Flat Rock House. I waited outside for them to arrive, since I was surely not about to go in there by myself. When I saw Eric, he said that he had checked with the front desk of his hotel. They said that no calls had been put through to his room that night before, and they would have the line checked. He was very sure that the phone calls we had both experienced that night before were demonic. He was curious to see if the tapes had picked up anything that, and would listen to them later once he returned to Georgia. The priest, Eric, with his minister, Stan, present, were going to do the best they could to bless the house. Eric set up his altar in the middle of the living room, and he began the blessing. He once again asked out loud in the room, Are there any spirits in the house that want to leave? Momentarily. Now is the time to do it. He started to pray with his candles already lit, and then began to loudly recite scriptures, commanding any and all spirits to leave the house and leave my family alone. Just then, I felt something hard hit against my left interior forearm, followed by the feeling of a burning slice. I gasped and quickly covered the area of the pain with my other hand. It felt like I had been gashed at the bone with a scalding sharp skewer. I was afraid to lift my hand off the painful side. I thought that I would see my blood gushing out. I thought for sure that I was holding the gaping wound together as I applied pressure to it. Remember, we're a PG-13 channel, so if you don't like what you hear, just move on. Okay, move on. Don't, don't get me banned. Just move on. The pain was excruciating. Eric saw what was happening and walked over to me. He placed his crucifix over the area my hand was covering and told the demonic spirits, leave this child of God alone. The burning pain stopped instantly. I could hardly believe it. Still leery and expecting to see blood, I slowly lifted my hand off, off of my forearm to see the wound and nothing was there. The priest continued to recite scripture. I stayed in the living room as Eric and Stan walked throughout the house. Eric never stopped reading the Bible as we walked through the house's upper and lower levels with holy water and a crucifix in his Bible. After he completed the upper and lower levels, Eric went up into the attic and continued the blessing. Then he went outside to the yard. He walked the outer perimeter of the yard and placed blessed coins in each of the corners. Then he blessed the entryway as, as he re-entered the house. He went through the house completely again. When Eric went into the garage and started to bless the understair storage area, I happened to be sitting on the stairs inside the house. So I was exactly on the opposite side of the wall from where he was continuing the blessing. As I sat there, I saw what appeared to be a whitish, tape-like thing darting in and out of the wall. I thought at first I was imagining it, but then I saw again, saw it again. I remember that orbs, when they traveled, looked like segmented whitish ribbons. This one was lacing itself in and out of the wall in the descending stairs. 
I called to Eric, who could hear me through the wall, and told him what I had just seen. He became more emphatic as he commanded the demonic forces to leave. I then saw the ribbon thing exit the wall on my side and lace along the baseboard, disappearing into the baseboard at the bottom of the stairs. Eric returned inside, and I told him where the orb had gone. He continued to chase the orb with determination. The blessing took six hours from beginning to end, and when we finally finished, everyone was exhausted and hungry. Stan took Eric back to his hotel, and I went back to my trailer. I called Eric to thank him and ask if he and Stan would allow me to take them out to dinner to show my appreciation. Eric agreed to go. I picked him up at 8 p.m. for late dinner. Stan was able to go to a previous engagement. As Eric and I sat and ate dinner, I had a lot of questions, one of which was, is it safe for me to take my children back over to that house? Yes, it should be safe from this point, Eric responded. However, he warned me that I will always need to be, be proactive. The spirits get comfortable in a set location. The spirits get comfortable in a set location could return if you don't continue to pray and ask for protection. He also said that if I ever got any inclination that the demons were back to remain calm as they fed on my negative emotions and firmly command them to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. My heart sank again. I had hoped that this blessing would clear the problem away completely and forever. I wanted my life to be back to normal, with the only difference being my family living in a new house. I asked if there was any permanent solution for keeping them out. Sometimes, in really different cases like yours, he said, it takes several blessings to get the entities completely out, and sometimes they do return. It will be up to you to continue to pray and be firm about commanding them to leave your house in the name of Jesus Christ. I would be willing to return and perform an additional blessing if a problem continues, he added. Just remember to firmly command them to leave and to hold your ground. I remember thinking that if that's the case, I would never be at peace in that house with my children. I lost myself in thought for a moment and envisioned the constant worry that I would have every time a piece of paper blew off the table from the breeze of an open window. I would always be wondering if the entities were back. Then I envisioned inviting my extended family over for a Thanksgiving dinner and how it would look and sound to my guests when I saw a demon walk through the room that they could not see. I stood up in the middle of the dining dinner to yell and firmly command the demons to leave my house in the matter of the name of Jesus. I could only imagine how horrified my children and guests would be at my dinner. I was sure that the return of those guests would be few, not to mention that people would not want us coming over to their house either. My allergies, as we might bring more along with us than chocolate cake for dinner, for dessert. I knew that I would not want someone with confirmed demons and ghosts in their house to come over to my house, nor would I go over to theirs. No, no thank you. Not after what I had already been through. And if this is what I would need to do in order to stick my ground and ensure a free house. I thought, not, what if they came while I was sleeping and had an advantage over me? Nope, not me, not my family. My family and I were out of there. It was enough having to protect the home from criminals at large, but having also protected from invisible things was over the top for me. In that moment, I made my decision. I was going to move completely back into my trailer and get the house ready for sale as soon as possible. I was a single mother and could not afford to pay a mortgage on a home that I could not live in. Nor could I afford to burn it to the ground, although I had considered it. I don't know what I was going to do about the house. However, I knew one thing for sure. I, w I wasn't moving in at all. I told the priest my decision and said, and he said, no, you own that house, so don't give up. It is your house, and they need to stay out. Command them to leave. If they return, command them to leave if they ever return, he told me. 
I reflected back to the incident with Ellen in my kitchen when she got clawed to the point of bleeding twice. I reminded Eric of it and said, I had commanded the demons to leave that time, and when I did, they only moved into another room. Ellen and I were the ones who had to leave the house completely. We couldn't get out of that door fast enough. I'm sorry to disappoint you, I continued, but I am not interested in dragging my kids to that kind of hell. I will never be a piece of that house. It will never be my safe haven. I drove Eric back to his hotel. He told me that he would be in touch and that I must keep the faith. I thanked him for his help and told him that I would remain in touch with him as well. Okay, that's it for this week. We'll continue next week at Chapter 8. I hope you guys uh, got an earful out of this. It's a, it's a spooky book. It's spooky, spooky. Who we got over here? I see you guys there. All right, I see we got listeners. Anyway, thank you very much for coming. I really appreciate it. Uh, if you like what you hear, please leave me some thumbs up. Leave me some hearts, smiley faces. If you're watching from YouTube, you're watching from Facebook, thumbs up and all that good stuff. T- double tap that screen on, on TikTok. Um, we do this every Sunday. We read we read an hour from a, a true paranormal theme book. And uh, we'll be back next Sunday to continue uh, Omnipresent. Tomorrow, our regular show takes hold, and we will be going the next five days with uh, uh, real, some really cool guests. And tomorrow, we have Quentin Wheeler with us, who's going to be talking about animals going extinct, animals and plants going extinct. So that's going to be tomorrow, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, right here on California Haunts Radio. For you guys on TikTok, if you want to check that out, that's at youtube.com forward slash at California Haunts Radio. Okay? Uh, every, every, everybody else, TikTok. Well, everybody else, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, you, you'll find it on YouTube and Twitch, okay? All right, I'll see you guys, and uh, have a great evening, and enjoy the rest of your weekend.